I'm doing a series called The Journey. These things I remember. This is the third message. Next week will be the final message in that series. And then on the 13th, I will say a few words, and you won't be bothered with me yelling at you many more Sundays. You get your ears healed. Uh, and uh, I want to read two verses for you. Our Isaiah, when God gave me two verses when I was living in Fresno, California, to come and start this church on. Uh, it was a, I was doing Greek homework on a Thursday night while I was going to a Mennonite seminary in Fresno, and D. Edmund Hebert, a beloved, beloved uh, Mennonite brother, uh, was worth the whole time there. But I was doing homework for his class, and God gave me uh, Isaiah 54. Let me pick up verse 15. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. That's pretty good for the church, isn't it? Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. Quite interesting. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. The part of the verse that came to me, no weapons shall succeed against you. I got out a Bible concordance to find the verse. I didn't know it was in the Bible. But some way, just... Come to mind, no weapon formed against you. I thought it'd be Second Corinthians ten, but it wasn't. It was this verse. So I had this assurance. It was made real to me. Then God gave me Revelation chapter three, and let me read to you what He says to the church at Philadelphia, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David. Who opens and no one will shut? Who shuts and no one opens? I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of the trial that is coming upon the whole inhabited earth to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at chapter 1. Pardon me for reading several verses, but I'm going to pick up verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, some take it messengers, because uh, it's used that way, it could be angelic or human. The seven stars are the messengers or angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here's the picture. He sees the seven churches, congregation in Asia Minor, and he pictures them not in the hands of Caesar, not in the hands of the Roman Empire, but he said, they're in my right hand. I hold my small little congregations with all their varied tests, problems. I hold them in my right hand. He didn't say, I hold IBM in my right hand. He didn't say he held Hollywood in his right hand. He said, I hold my people, these congregations, in my hands. Now, God centered on my heart, Revelation 3, 8. And out of the seven churches, only two are not criticized. Smyrna, he tells them, you're going to suffer for me. And he does nothing but gives his promise of faithfulness. Philadelphia, I give you an open door. He had no criticism. See, when we started Valley, he couldn't criticize us because there's nobody here. The other five churches, he begins with Ephesus. Ephesus, I've got one thing against you. You don't love me like you did at the beginning. Your Christianity has become a rut. You used to have a first love. You couldn't talk to me enough. You couldn't pray to me enough. You couldn't give enough. Couldn't serve enough. But you've cooled off. And I've seen many a stallion cool off. I've seen many just uh, go by the way. Uh, they used to love him. They used to serve. They used to, used to, used to. It's like the couple. They used to be in love. They're still married. They're just not in love. They're still married, and they go through the rut, and they keep the family occasions, but the glow is gone. And so he says to them, I wish you would repent and get back to your first love. It's a sobering message for all of us. He goes on to Smyrna, a suffering church, speaks of Pergamum, that they're being picked off through seducing doctrines, Balaam, seducing God's people to immoral behavior, to this uh, ungodly behavior. And he takes that church. They're tolerating it is the shocker. Uh, nobody is standing for the truth, it seems. Then he comes to Thyatira, and they actually have a woman there who claims to be a prophetess telling them how to live, but the people are being seduced, going into immoral behavior, crazy teachings. And he says, 
you need to set this woman down. She shouldn't be able to corrupt my people, but she was. Then you come to the church of Sardis, around long enough to get a reputation, and she had a name for being alive, uh, the name of that church. But he said, you know what? All you've got is a name. You've become dead. You've died. Uh, what you used to be is not what you're known for now. It's not what you really are. Uh, got a name. You got a reputation, but you've lost the reality. I often say it doesn't matter what label you put on an empty can. You're still empty. You think you got all the right names, the right names. The reason I named this church Valley Bible Church, we started in Pano Valley on Tenet, across from Fernandez Park. We were in the valley then. We're not quite in the valley. And I wanted to be known as a Bible teaching church because I was not ashamed of the Bible. Today, we got so many different names for churches, and that's fine. Whatever. I'm saying why we did is that I was leaving a denomination. I was, I was leaving. I said, whatever the book says, I will believe. I, I don't care, Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecost. Don't, I don't need a label for why I believe the Bible. The Bible was, is going to be my authority. And we started from scratch, from scratch, verse by verse. And it was quite an adventure. It's a wonder we survived. The Bible, it's the thing that has to be our authority. Not the denomination, uh, not the deacons. Not the board, not the pastor. The Word of God. Right there. The Word of God. I'm a Bible Christian. I have authority for my ethics, for my morals, for my behavior, and it's not up for a vote. And uh, I still know how to find the right bathroom to go to. Amen. Uh, I want to look at uh, three things. The person who started the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of death, will not be able to destroy it. You can kill James, you can kill Paul, you can kill Peter, but you will not have killed the church for they're alive and well and the church is up there too. We've got as many up there as down here. The gates of death will not prevail against my church. I, God will build his church upon a resurrected Christ and he will become the head of the true church. No man is the head of the true church. It's not the pope. It's not preachers. It's not. It's Christ is the head of his church. I love the church because I love its head. I love the church because we have a perfect leader. Now, the rest of us have a long ways to go, but he's perfect. Some people don't love the church. But how could you not love what Christ purchased and is building and is the head of? Now, he uh, is building his church. 
And he said he's holy and he's true. And he goes on to say he has the key of David. And I take that to be when you've got the key, you've got the authority. The power that maintains and starts the church, he's telling the believers at Philadelphia, which were obviously a small group, they had few resources. Most of the New Testament churches were house churches. Uh, when I went to Cuba with Manny Fernandez, we visited hundreds of churches in Cuba that were house churches, garage ports, uh, uh, expanded living rooms. Uh, we're talking about 50 people. Sometimes we'd be in a field. There might be 200. And Grant was one day. We, we baptized two or three times a day. Church, church. Because Fidel would not allow them to build church buildings, so they converted their homes into meeting places for the saints. They were all over the island. Philadelphia, I know that you're weak. I know you're small. I know you have hardly no resources. But this is something I want you to know you have. I hold the keys in chapter 1 of death and Hades. So I'm in charge of death and dying. But over here, I hold the key of David. Interesting. What in the world is David doing here? What's the key of David? Well, back in Isaiah 22, Shebna was a man that came under the judgment of God, and God said, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to remove you from office. I'm going to eliminate you. And in your place, I'm going to put a guy by the name of Elohim. And when I put him in place, I'm going to give him the keys of David. Keys of David. What's that? David's the king. I'm going to put Elohim in charge of his treasuries, his resources. Everything belongs to the king. He is in charge of dispensing the king's goods, the king's money, the king's grain. Take care. He is like governor for King David. Run the place. You've got the keys. Now, what is Jesus telling his churches? He's rattling these kings. I'm in charge of death because I've conquered it by my resurrection. I'm in charge of where the dead go. I'm even over Hades, the place where the dead go. I'm glad my loved ones in Christ are doing good because Jesus is running the place. And then I've got the key to all the resources of God. Everything that God has to give you, it comes through Jesus Christ. And he said, I hold the keys. Amen. And I've often preached to preachers, as long as you've got the key man, you can succeed. Who's your key man? Some big donor or Jesus? Here, Jesus says, by the way, Philadelphia, you may be small, you may seem insignificant, but you've got the key man working on your behalf. He says, there's three things I know about you at Philadelphia. One, you're weak. You have little strength. Two, you've kept my word. And three, you've not denied my name. 
What does that mean? He says, you're weak. Uh, no strength, some translations. Asthenes, used a physical weakness, sickness. Uh, when I'm weak, then am I strong? It's used all over. And, and what, a, what a thing to tell a, a church and, and to look up this angel and say, tell them I know they're a weak church. What would you do if Jesus came in here and said that about us? Would anybody amen? I would. I know more about you than you know about you. Yeah, we're weak. We're weak in a lot of areas. Always have been. Let me tell you how we started. You want to get a picture of weakness? I'm going to seminary, working on a master's degree. Thursday night, I'm doing homework for Dr. Hebert. That night, while I'm doing that, my daughter's two years old, playing in the front room. Carolyn's still on a job. She comes home. I said, the Lord has burdened me. We were headed to Visaya, California. I said, the Lord has spoke to my heart to go back where I grew up and start a Bible teaching church. She said, you're kidding. I want to go to Visaya. They've got a parsonage there, and I'm expecting our second child. I want a place to land. I'm not interested in a pipe dream. Then it wasn't that brutal, but she wasn't happy. She's crying, upset. The next day she came back from work, and she said, I prayed all day, and let's start packing as soon as you're ready. It was that easy, that quick. Well, I left her in Fresno, and even Deborah for a while. I came up and started living with my sister Hazel, who lived on estates in Pinole. And I started looking for a place to rent. The only place I could find was Holy Ghost Hall on Tenet in Pinole. Tony Barocca was the guy that oversaw the hall. And uh, a little short Portuguese man that I come to love. How much is your rent? $140 a month. Tuesday and Sundays. I said, well, okay. Could I pay it Monday? Okay. Preached for a little Pentecostal church in Concord. They gave me a $140 check that night, my honorarium. I went and saw Tony on Monday, gave him the check. That's how the first month's rent was paid. Then I went to Rodeo. I had to get an apartment. And who did I meet with but that friendly, robust businessman named Jack Bezalow, the toughest guy in town when it comes to business. And Jack seemed like he owned half of uh, Rodeo, apartments everywhere. And I went to his place uh, in his apartment, and my sister took me there. And uh, he said, okay, fill out this application. Uh, I filled it out. And it said, uh, annual income, zero. Uh, employment, zero. Uh, let's see. How much money down? Zero. Uh, and he looked at it, and he cussed good and proper. Would you, you think I'm an idiot? He said, what, what, that's an insult to fill out an application. I said, well, I haven't started the church. I'm not employed. I just need a place to live. He said, well, go to welfare. I said, well, I could, but uh, could I rent this? And he started cussing a little bit more, and then his wife, Diane, spoke up and said, 
Jack went it to him. And, you know, when it's bad business, a woman can win. <laughs> and uh, you could just see that look in her face. Don't mess. Because your rent's going to be due from me. And uh, he got in the mood. And then he, he pushed me. He said, can, can you pay? Can you pay? Kind of got, you know, rough with me. And then South Richmond started coming out of me. I was getting angry. I said, hey, hey, we're never going to owe you a dime. We're never. I said, she'll pay for it. <laughs> Doesn't have any money. I was broke. Had no money. Lost my car within two months. My brother moved me, moved me into his house. Couldn't pay the rent over three months. And all I had, I thought, surely if my dad was there, he'd underwrite me. And then he comes down with cancer. And we, he becomes my first funeral in the church. 63 years of age, big country boy. I thought, he's like my brother Paul. He's a big man. I thought he'd live forever. Uh, and then all I had, all I had was my sister, Virginia, Carolyn. These are the charter members right here, Virginia and Carolyn, and a two-year-old daughter. Three women, me. We were the Sunday school teachers. We were the secretary and treasurer. Uh, we were the music department. Hazel and I did all the music. We did everything. We even set up and broke down the 48 chairs that they rented us for the hall. And they had a chair there that was called a child destroyer. We, we could hear spam, spam. And there were just those old wooden chairs that would just cave in with you like that. So we lost a kid about every Sunday. You know, boom, there went another kid, another kid. Uh, no lights, hardly. I mean, we could barely read our Bible. It was made for dances and, uh, you know, Holy Ghost festivals uh, that the uh, California Catholics, uh, they celebrate that. It was no place to have a church, smell like skunks because they got under the building and literally we'd have to spray it. Or Jack Daniels would be all over the place, beer cans over the exit. Real church environment, you know. <laughs> I mean, you could get high just smelling the booze. And uh, how many of you ever went to Holy Ghost Hall? Anybody? Oh, yeah, look at you. These are the elect. Uh, I mean, we had nothing. We had nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. Only one thing made the difference, the key man. The key man. Uh, you know how this property got by? We bought this property for three hundred about ninety-two thousand. We weren't quite at four hundred. Uh, after two years, I started a building fund. You know, every church needs a building fund. Anybody ever remember the old thermometers we used to put up in church to say how we're doing on it? Well, maybe growing up, I knew property was going, going. Because when I started looking for a house, they were uh, about. Pinot Valley, David's house is about 25000 By the time we saved $3,000, they jumped to 55000 So I gave up. I didn't think I could save money quick enough to make a down payment. But I said, you know what? By next Easter, we should raise $100,000. 
Now, this building is 95% young people under the age of 23. They ain't known for much money. You know, my brother started coming, a few, but it was a young people's church. Janine Burroughs told me today, the reason I went to your church is because of his name and reputation. And I said, what was that? He said, it was known as a Jesus church. I said, good. I hope it's still known for that. Well, we started that collection, and after 11 months, the thought, it's embarrassing when the thermometer is still at the bottom. We might have had $5,000. I gave 1000 I don't know how I did it. I want a refund. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was bad. It was a joke in the church. Everybody laughed. I mean, we would kid about it. Look at the, th how's the thermometer doing this week? Oh, man, hadn't moved an inch in 11 months. That's how we laugh. But we're going to conclude Easter of that year, about our third year. And we'll give the tally. So Easter morning, I'm ready for everybody to bust out laughing, whatever. And I step up. I said, are we ready to laugh some more? Yeah, yeah. We're having all kinds of fun. Uh, I said, uh, we reached our goal. I said, uh, and I put a check on the pulpit. We have $190,000 because some young people gave us an offering. And that started our building fund. So we paid cash when we bought this land in this city. And uh, it was one thing after another. We'd sell a building. We'd make a profit. Kept putting it in the building fund. On, did you know you're setting on about $20 million worth of assets? That we got over two acres under roof that we meet in around here. The, and that building costs in the San Francisco Bay Area just exceeded New York City. New York City is $360 a square foot. The Bay Area has gone to 414 a square foot. We could never build again. We've got over 95,000 square feet. How did God do this through such a weak ministry? The key man. The key man. I said the key man. It's Jesus Christ. He moved little offerings. I've had fundraisers come in. They said, you don't have any deep pockets. I said, tell me about it. He said, where's your millionaires? I said, all in heaven or never came. <laughs> he said, man, you build buildings with money. You, you, you don't have any deep. I said, I know they're not deep, but we've got something in the shallow ones. The main thing you've got is our heart. He said, I know you're weak. Never forget that. Sometimes I think even today, we talk about the Bay Area, how tough, how this. You know what? It was tough when I landed. It was tough when I grew up in Richmond. I've never known the Bay Area not to be tough. It's never been a Bible Belt. It's hell-raising country. It's a liberal country. It's where damn God and up with money, sex, and party time. 
What's changed? Our gospel hasn't changed. Our Savior hasn't changed. And I hope you haven't changed. We've got good news for desperate people. They need good news. They need good news. He goes on and says to them, uh, you know, you've kept my word. You've kept my word. You know, most believers are educated beyond their intelligence. And we're educated beyond our obedience. We know more than we practice. How about you? I don't want to just know the word. God honors people that do the word. And uh, when I came here, I started afresh. And like I said, I started with an open Bible. When I prepared my early sermons, I opened my Greek Testament, and I wrote every Greek word out. In my notes, I parsed every verb, and I identified if it was a perfect tense, is it a net? I wanted to go word by word, and whatever the Spirit, I, and I'm telling young people, it's an heiress. I said, well, okay, care less. I don't want to learn Greek. Tell me about God. But we try to keep his word. God honors his word. I remember the first time we practiced church discipline. We put out a man committing adultery and told me so. And when we said, we're going to take you to the church Sunday night unless you repent, he laughed at me. He was a big man. I wanted my brothers to stand with me after the service. I needed John Lee in those days because I thought he would try to whip me. But I said, you know what? And people, the rumor went around. They'll discipline. What is it? This is barbaric. This is Salem witch burnings. What's going on? No. 1 Corinthians 5. I read that. I never saw it done in my life. If God said do it, I'm going to do it. If we close the doors, because Amen. If God said do it, we did it. And guess what? The fear of God went through us, this whole place. I did more weddings in my first two years because half the young people were living with their girlfriend. They didn't know what marriage was. They didn't know what morals were until Jesus got a hold of them and said, you know, it would be nice not just to sleep with a girl, but to make a commitment to protect her when she's sick when she's pregnant, when she's broke. Don't say, I'm a one-night stand. Say, I'm a lifetime commitment. And the Word of God said, I know Jesus well enough to get married. I don't screw girls. I marry wives. There's a big difference. I don't just father children. I become a dad. I want to be a dad. He did that. That's no big deal to you old established people. It's a big deal to a 60s generation that knew how to smoke pot and have love ends and have sex and no responsibility. It took Jesus to make this crowd ever marry. They did it. Because he made them fall in love with Jesus. And then they fell in love with the girl. No longer using her. I'm going to commit myself to you. And he said something, uh, you uh, have not denied my name. I love that. You've not denied my name. You know what that means? All the way from Axon, he said, I'm just wanting somebody to own me in this world. 
somebody to own. They'll be my witnesses, Acts says. They'll go public. They'll be baptized and declare, I know Jesus. We all probably have some relatives we don't want you to know we're related to. Sometimes I've seen people attend this church that I thought, may God lead them elsewhere <laughs> in green pastures. Sometimes you wish they didn't attend here because you want to look good. One man said, the way I pick a church is I drive through the parking lot and I look for how many Cadillacs and Beamers there are to determine if I go. I want to be where there's money, wealth, and class. Jesus said, you've not denied my name. I'll tell you this much. Hear me well. With my little team of Carolyn, Hazel, Virginia, the only adult workers I had, we may not have known all the Bible answers, but we love the name. We love the name. You know, sometimes when I go to churches, you know what I miss the most? is Jesus. I hear about their finances. I might hear about the choir. I might hear about this. And I, I, sometimes I might say, uh, is Jesus on the menu? I need a great Savior. I'd like to get with some folks, you know, growing up how I did. I, I was saved in a microwave oven. I grew up with folks just... We had more emotion than we had knowledge, but boy, did we have a time. I'm waiting for some of you catch fire just to shake every once in a while about truth. But oh, how we love the name. Let me ask you, do you own the name of Jesus or do you deny it? I remember when I was 19, I was preaching a revival in Seminole, Oklahoma. I went over there from Fort Smith, Arkansas. I went to this little country church that had been closed, and a man named Brother Ford with five children. Every night after church, I ate bologna sandwiches and drank iced tea and owned beef because he was a poor preacher. And I didn't like bologna, but there was no McDonald's. Not Seminole. He and I drove over to Tecumseh one day because my little VW was having car trouble. And while we were driving over there on the way back, I don't know, just spontaneously, he and I started singing, the name of Jesus, oh, how sweet. How is music, how does that it go? Its name makes my soul complete. Uh, hey, hey, good. Tis so sweet. I love its music to repeat. It makes my joys full and complete, the precious name of Jesus. And boy, that preacher and I, we shouted, we cried, we nearly wrecked the car, just singing how much we love Jesus. I grew up with people that always talk about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, how sweet the name. Every day the same. Jesus. Do you know any Jesus songs? You. Don't talk about me. You. 
Do you know any Jesus song? But you're actually singing an intimate love song to the lover of your soul. I love Psalms 132. Lord, I'm on your breast, but I've already been weaned. I'm not a, a child that needs mother's milk, but I got so used to your bosom while you were nursing me. I don't want to ever be off of your bosom again, even when I'm weaned. And he said, my soul is like a weaned child on its mother's breast. I tell you, when you get next to Jesus, you never want to get away from me. He's the dearest thing, even when you're not coming to him for something. Just if I could be on the bosom of a Savior like Jesus. Well, the key man took us, has sponsored us. Listen to these promises. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan come and bow, which I see is they're being converted to their gospel. They're coming to own Christ. What a promise in verse 10. You've kept my word about patient endurance. I want to keep you from the hour of the trial that is coming upon the inhabited earth. I take it to reach all the way to the tribulation. I'm hoping that's true, that he'll keep us out of the greatest hour of test that will cover the earth, the tribulation period. But he promises he's going to do something special for them when this event comes. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. From a promise, he uh, gives us a word of exhortation. Don't let anyone rob you of your crown before you get to heaven. I think that is an astounding verse to me. Will all Christians receive the same rewards? Will every Christian hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful backslider. <laughs> well done, thou good and faithful bailouter. I went out. You used to teach, but no more. You used to attend, but no more. You used to, I was, I used to, I was. Uh, wait, 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 wait. What happened? I've talked to people in church that have said things like this. I had this one individual that quit ministry, and I said, what happened? Well, someone criticized me. I said, what? Someone, so a critic talked you out of your ministry? Somebody criticized, well, you're probably not doing God's will unless somebody criticizes you need the height of a rhinoceros to do anything for God. It ain't ever going to be applauding. Come on. But I, I, I got hurt. I was a Wait, this church was built on the blood of the martyrs. Our, our people died. James was beheaded in the city of Jerusalem. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded by Nero. Come on, come on. They died. For, and you're saying a critic turned you around? A critic? What is man that you should pay any attention to him? 
What's in him? Don't fear what men may say. Uh, everything we say in this pulpit is not politically correct, hardly. Pardon me, Mayor, but that's just the way it is in the Bay Area. What can I say about Jesus, God, and morals that would not rile somebody in this Bay Area? Just stand for truth. Stand for right. They criticize. Some of you have lost your crown already. You're just holding on. Maybe go out bitter. Go out disappointed. But he warns him, don't let anybody rob you, rob you of your crown. You remember what Paul said, I beat my body black and blue so that after I preached the gospel to others, I would not become a castaway. 1 Corinthians 9.27 I don't want to be a castaway. And it's adagamacho. I don't want to be tested and proved to have fallen through. I, I'm not genuine. I, I didn't pass the test. God is not going to reward all people the same. Some, you become critics of the game. You don't play the game. You become, this ought to be this way. This ought to be the, what is God doing for you? My dad used to be, being a country boy, said, the mule can't pull and kick at the same time. Are you pulling or kicking? Don't, there's no reward for kicking. Just pulling. Wearing his yoke. Philadelphia, you don't have a chance except in me. Don't let anybody rob you of me. Serve because of me. Give because of me. Stand because of me. End your, your journey living for me, not for men. If I should please men, if I should seek to please men, I would cease to be the servant of God. Galatians 1.10. He goes on. Those who conquer, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. What he's saying here is, someday... I'm going to make you a permanent fixture in the new Jerusalem. I'm going to plant you like a pillar. And you'll no longer be an alien. You'll no longer be an immigrant running for your life as the early church was on the road all the time, fleeing persecution. No longer will you be running, escaping, hiding. He said, no, no. I will anchor you in the city and I'm going to engrave my name so you've got access to everything in the city. They, they, everybody in that city will know you belong to me. You will no longer be a foreigner, an exile, a hunted dog because you named my name. In that city, you're going to be a permanent fixture. I will own you for all eternity. I'd rather be owned for eternity by Jesus than by men in time and lose my soul. Three things I would apply to you personally. Maybe you're at a crossroads where all the doors seem to be closed. The Jesus who spoke to a church can also speak to an individual. Did you know the key man 
is in charge of the doors in your life. He can open them. He can close them. I know a family going through all, they're trying to do the right, and yet the trials are coming left and right, left and right. Can they make it? Can they make it? Jesus is the key man for you. And if you just admit, first of all, I'm weak, and he'll say, thanks for admitting it. I've known it all the time. Just admit it. You admit that. Two, will you obey his word? He's never blessed anybody that didn't want to obey him. He does not bless disobedience. You know, C.S. Lewis said that the door to hell was locked from the inside. Inside your heart, you're the one that can open or close. You have the keys inside your heart. But Jesus says, if you're willing to do my word, I'm willing to open doors you could never dream of. And then he says, are you willing to own me? Just be my witnesses. Don't deny that you know me. It'd be terrible to be engaged to a girl so homely that you wouldn't want to introduce her to the family. Wouldn't that be a shame? And it's a terrible thing to belong to a Savior you won't own, that you won't publicly own no matter. I remember when I got saved going to Helms and Richmond High, I can't tell you how hard it was to pray over my food in the cafeteria because I didn't want to be made fun of. And he finally said, if you don't own me before men, I won't own you before my father. And so I learned to pray over my food, and I was a nervous wreck at first. Nobody laughed. Nobody made fun. I just had to attack my fears. I want to say, in serving here these years, something about serving Jesus that Charles Spurgeon said in his last sermon in 1891. It is heaven to serve Jesus. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more I have served him. Bless his name. He died about age 59. Started pastoring when he's 19 and I have nothing but love from him I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if so it pleased him his service is life peace joy all oh, that you would enter it at once God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day who will go for us? Will you? Are you losing your crown or winning a crown? Are you engaged in the race or 
on the sidelines for whatever reason. I must say, dear saints, I plan to be engaged in this warfare till I see him, whether I'm the lead pastor or not. And I plan to love you till I see him because I am a born-again child of God. And you are. It's not contingent on the office. It's contingent on the fact I've had a new birth that makes me especially love those born of God. I can't keep from loving you because he gushes out the love of God so you love people. You love your neighbor. You love your brother. Let us not throw in the towel until we see him face to face. Our Father, I thank you for giving Jesus as our key leader. I love Psalms 23, that the Lord is my pastor. I shall lack for nothing. What a pastor Jesus is. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the chief shepherd. What a wonderful Savior, how you have guided this local church, provided, kept, brought us from nothing but, as it were, rags, from little sophistication, little advantages, just weak, weak, weak people. But you volunteered to be the key man for us. It's the only hope for any local church. Help us to cling to you until we get to embrace you someday for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. One more sermon. One more sermon.